Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's most dangerous Tottenham Hotspur podcast. We're back to talk about an ugly 2-0 victory against Nottingham Forest. But I think it's not as bad as everyone else seems to. But we'll talk about it in a second. Before that, don't forget to leave us five stars on iTunes or Spotify because we're good boys and we deserve it. And follow us on Twitter at WDR Podcast. at WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. Now that that's out of the way. Let me introduce my co-hosts. Like Daniel Levy hiring a manager in December, he makes bad decisions over the weekend and pays for it a few days later. It's Ben Daniels. Ben, how are you holding up tonight? Uh, I'm getting through it. <laughs> what? What uh, is? Do you, you want to tell the listeners what some of your recent bad decisions have consisted of? Yeah, it was a Sunday happy hour that offered twelve dollar martinis and three oysters. So we had an hour to see how many of those we could get through. And apparently that comes with consequences on a Monday morning. Or even Any, Monday uh, evening. <laughs> anything for Portugal involved here? Is so many of Tottenham's bad decisions have involved? No, it was a Thai restaurant uh, of all places. I don't think we have any links to Thailand. Yeah, I think the Malaysian 11 that Tom Carroll destroyed <laughs> might be as close as we get to that. Um <laughs> Moving on to someone who knows uh, a little bit more about keeping things on an even keel, it's uh, Brian Ashlock. Brian, how are you doing tonight? Great, great. Yeah, you you got it. That's me, just totally even keel all the time. Well, you balance, right? Yeah, you, you, right, you, right. Uppers and downers, just in perfect on slopes, balance. On slopes. You yeah, 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 yeah. You, <laughs> get, you get, get real high highs, real low lows. Um, it averages out to balance. So, yeah, yeah. Well, that's good to know. Um now that we have gotten some very comfortable and uh, not at all awkward introductions out of the way, it's time to talk about a very comfortable and not at all awkward victory against Nottingham Forest. We won 2-0 away at Forest. Uh, I, I was surprised how much complaining there was about this match. I don't think it was pretty by any extent, but I don't know. I thought it was a reasonably comfortable win. Uh, ben, you did not think this. I wouldn't say it was uncomfortable. It just wasn't very well managed, I guess I'd say. It was the, you know, it was, there were three very clear phases. It was the first 30 minutes when everything was humming, and then Brennan Johnson gets injured. We shake things up, and then we had an okay period where we scored the goals, and then we got a red card, and then we had a third phase at the end. And so, the game just got progressively worse as we went on. And it, you know, the way that that game started, I did not expect it to, you know, descend into the muck like that. Well, I got to say, Ben, at this point, if you don't, you know, expect a Spurs player to get hurt and or sent off, um, you know, in a match, that's on you, not on the team. You know, that's fair. <laughs> we certainly have priors. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it started off just, Kulishevsky at the 10, again, you know, unchanged uh, shape from Newcastle. And we came out of the gates really strong, created some really good opportunities. Um, it looked like this was going to be an easy day at the office. And then 
Brennan Johnson started fountaining blood out of his head, and that kind of... Yeah, where were you during this match? <laughs> were, you, were you maybe <laughs> on top of the stand with a sniper rifle? Um, I thought your boy Brennan Johnson actually was having a pretty nice match uh, before, you know, one of his old teammates decided to cut his head open. Brian, were you how how did you feel about uh, how this match progressed? Yeah, I mean, obviously, the Brennan Johnson injury is like the line of demarcation. I didn't think we were like great before it. Like we were still pretty bad before that injury happened. But we were pretty bad in a way that you could look at it and go, all right, we're probably going to score sometime in the first 60 minutes and we'll grind one out and it'll be fine. Um, but I, I don't know. I, it, once we had to change shape to accommodate or, or not necessarily change shape, but change personnel to accommodate the substitution for the injury, uh, everything kind of went to shit, honestly. I mean, it stinks because you've got. I think I think Ange has kind of neatly solved the problem of what to do in midfield without Madison, um, and obviously LaCelso being hurt um, for God knows how long that'll be hasn't helped matters. But I think putting Kulishevsky in midfield sort of neatly solves a lot of these problems in ways that I don't think we expected, because um, he's sort of this weird mix between sort of Dembele doing the things Dembele did on the ball with you know, the passing and, and chance creation of a Madison. It's really actually pretty impressive. But as soon as, you know, you take Madison off, we're so sort of thin on wide players right now, you kind of need to sort of put him out there to, you know, fill that void in the team. And then there's just, you know, I mean, I guess I'd rather have seen Hoiberg, but, you know, he threw Skip on. It's just, I mean, there's no, there's no great solutions at this point. I mean, I understand that, but I don't know. Skip just sort of is what it is, and it's not very good. I think, like, it's a real testament to how much Brian Heal is in the doghouse. That, that, the like, maintaining the shape that was, you know, broadly working, um, even with a, a guy you don't like very much in Brian Heal, or just totally upending everything for Oliver Skip is, like, if that's the decision you have to make, like, I don't think... But there's that's a flip side well. to that. I mean, and this is this is this doesn't make heel any less problematic, just in a different way. It's like you know, you look at the way this match was going. I mean, you know, Brian Heel might not might not have made that made it out of that match alive. I mean, the referee was like, oh no. Well, I mean, <laughs> then you're down on a man for a different reason. Right. All no, I'm you're right. Like, We've seen heel lack the physicality to play in the Premier League. This was a particularly physical match. You're right. Um, you know, and I think I, I, I'm just, I guess, surprised then that Hoiberg was below Skip in the pecking order because Skip just really, he just gave us nothing. Uh, you know, he was brought on and he he maybe has some utility as like a, as a number six who can just sort of run around and tackle people or whatever. But, like, we didn't play him very deep. He was still taking up positions kind of high up in that Kulashevsky space, making runs, trying to get involved in and around the final third, but just wasn't touching the ball at any point in possession and wasn't doing any defensive work. Uh, it was just like it was a it was just a weird, weird, weird move. Yeah, and I think Hoiberg makes so much more sense there. And. 
basically every other like hypothetical move that Ange could have done there involves like almost too much chopping and changing. So your options are like for like with Brennan Johnson, or if you're going to shift Kulisevsky out there, bring on a midfield player that's actually useful on the ball. Um, so I, I just don't know what the logic was behind not using Hoiberg at that point. Um, and I mean, look, we probably would have eventually seen Skip anyway because Basuma gets red carded and, you know, he would have been out there for kind of the the last part of the game anyway. But, you know, there's so many other things we could have done that would have been like just broadly more beneficial to the team, even if they also came with some downside. Like, I don't know, shift Kulisevsky out wide and play uh, Donnelly. And, you know, or or I don't, I put on Valise and move like Richarlison out wide. Like, I don't know. There's there's yeah. things we can do. And I'm not saying those are better because, you know, those guys are obviously not yet like Premier League regulars. But like I, I, I'm I'm overseeing Oliver Skip in a Spurs shirt. Again, there's just no good answers. Like, I don't think you're going to bring these guys in to debut, especially, I mean, you know, 30 minutes in, in kind of a dicey situation, especially when the game's turning into a street fight. And I think by the time, I mean, particularly because of Brandon Johnson, the way he went out, like, you know, I think you kind of knew what this match was going to be like. And I think that's a good segue into something that's been bothering me for a while, which is, you know, certainly a topic of conversation among Spurs fans, you know, ourselves included, is just... You know, it really feels this season like other teams are like we're not getting a lot from the referees, certainly since the Liverpool match. Um, you know, they're letting other teams get away with a lot of physicality. They're really not letting us get away with much. Um, admittedly, we have at least one, maybe two players who have a bit of a reputation that might not be helping them there. But, you know, I thought this match was particularly egregious. I mean, Forrest started to play us pretty hard. And I sort of understand, I don't like it, but I understand that referees are going to let a lower tier, t- you know, a team that might be fighting relegation conceivably in any given year, like get away with some physicality against a top six team. But at the same time, it was it's particularly galling to see a guy like Yates just getting away with nasty tackle after nasty tackle, not getting a yellow card. Um Asking you know, for yellow cards and getting yeah, them. <laughs> and not getting, yeah, not 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 getting yellow card like so many other players have been. And it's just, you know, especially galling when, you know, we're going to miss Udogi for the next match because he got, I thought was, you know, probably not that cheap, but certainly in the context of this match, a pretty cheap yellow card. I mean, Basuma gets a red card, which like, all right, probably that gets called in a lot of matches, but you consider like, I mean, you know, Brennan Johnson got busted wide open like it was a pay-per-view. I mean, you I mean know, a lot well, that's definitely times. a red card. That's a, that's definitely a red card. There's no question about what Basuma's I'm saying challenge. is there is just no kind of equivalence in this match. And well, I feel like we've been seeing a lot of this lately where teams are playing us pretty rough and we're not getting the rub of the green. I'm, I'm a little reluctant to complain about it because I think whenever I hear fans saying these kind of things I'm saying, I just think like, OK, you're you're being a little ridiculous. Like this happens to every team. Maybe you're a little bit unlucky for now, but it all evens out in the end, but it's, it's, I don't know. It it feels very, I don't know if it's a product of our, of the way we play. I don't know if it's a way that teams think they can counter us. Um, But it feels very pronounced in this match in particular, it felt pretty bad, both in terms of how Forrest was playing us in terms of physicality. Cause I don't think Forrest is a team that 
Like, this isn't how they play generally. And also in terms of what the referee was letting them get away with. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, Murillo or Murillo, I'm not sure. He's Brazilian, so I think the L's, you have to pronounce both of them. Uh, He should have been set off. Like, they didn't even look at that challenge. They were just like, nope, we're happy with the yellow card. Let's all keep it moving. Um, You know, I think it's a number of things as to, you know, what the reasoning behind it is. I think, you know, we are playing much more front foot than we used to. We are... Uh, we we play aggressively pressing and, um, you know, trying to to get the, win the ball back. And so that puts us in situations where, you know, we can commit a lot of fouls. And, you know, it also puts us in uh, positions where we are playing in transition a lot, whether it's whether it's us trying to get back in defense transitionally or us, uh, you know, going on the attack in transition and like fouls in those moments always produce way more cards fouls in those moments always look nastier because people are running back towards goal and you're necessarily kind of coming from behind like i i think the fan in me definitely feels like all of this is retribution for the liverpool game uh, but i think like realistically you know, we are a, a more aggressive team than we have been in the past. We we are, um, you know, we have the ball more, so there are more opportunities for us to get fouled. We, the, I think it's just like kind of a perfect confluence of things happening. And, you know, I think the refereeing standard in the Premier League is just low anyway, like not just for or against us. Like it just is bad now. And 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 that's resulting in kind of what we're seeing. I think you're right that there's definitely an element of chaos that our play introduces into proceedings that like create those scenarios. Uh, but it, it's also like tough to take that we are the we have had four red cards on the season. It's the joint most of any team in the league. The third most yellow cards in the season. Um, and you know, I, I haven't run the numbers on fouls, but in I believe this game, I believe we've committed the most fouls. We've committed the most fouls. Yeah. Really. Yeah. It's like looking back at the last few games, it was like this game they had 16 fouls to our 11, two yellow cards to our like five or six. You know, and that feels like has been a pattern is we get fouled a lot without a lot of consequences. Yeah. Um, and we are also getting called for a lot of, of red cards and yellow cards ourselves um, in a way that feels unbalanced and unfair. But I think, I think you're right. The standard of refereeing is just not very good. And it's like, everybody's mad. I don't think we have a monopoly on feeling hard done by the referees. Yeah. Well, everyone feels hard done for different reasons. And it's cause I don't think it's just about like, denial of penalties or whatever it's just sort of about this like you know it's what our friend vince complains about a lot it's like okay well if you're going to call this a foul then you need to call everything like that a foul. you know it's like there's there's this this, it seems like there's this lack of consistency like i was saying earlier i understand that there's a degree of well forest are a team further down the table they're going to have to play a certain way against a team that's like much closer to the top of table like spurs which is like something I understand. It's not something I'm happy about. That's like bullshit. Like, it's not like letting people get away with like, you know, riding a tackle here or there. I mean, Yates was just 
flat out like abusing our players. And, you know, I mean, you look at what happened to Bren Johnson and you could argue that's the ref's fault. He was letting the game sort of get to that point. He wasn't exerting control. You know, he wasn't early on telling the players that you can't do certain things. You know, it's just like, it's frustrating to watch this happen. And it's frustrating to just feel like you're sort of at the center of it. Even if I think you guys are right. We, the way we play does introduce a bunch of chaos into it. And I think that you are increasing the chances of just like coming out on the wrong end of some calls when you play the way we do. There's just, there's just no way to have this conversation without sounding conspiratorial and crazy. Like there's nothing that's like particularly insightful we can offer about it other than it feels bad. And you know, put up a fucking yarn board showing, you know, all of these yeah. incidents. But like, but there it's, is, it's, a, um, it's, it's part of the story of the match. Yates in particular is a guy who I don't think most of us had ever even heard of. And now is someone, you know, you would take a bat to their head in a parking lot if you ever had the opportunity because, you know, he's like Matty Cash levels of evil. Uh, and like, I don't know. I don't know what to do with that. Well, it's like, and again, I, I am coming as purely a perspective as a fan. Like you said, it looks like red yarn on the on the corkboard stuff. But, you know, it feels to me, like what's frustrating to me is it feels like Spurs are getting punished for, like, going in on plays hard. And I don't want to say that we haven't, like, earned a few of these red or yellow cards. But, like, they're, like, going in on a challenge hard. Where it's like, we've had, in the case of, just to pick two instances, Matty Cash and Ryan Yates in this last match, who are like trying, it feels like they are trying to injure people or they are being sloppy in a dangerous and irresponsible way. And it just, again, like I know what I sound like. I know I sound like a talk sport caller, but it's like, it feels like there's this like false equivalence with the referees or this lack of equivalence with the referees where it's like, you know, you're, they're just not, you know, I don't know. You look at like a, a great example is that like Matty cash tackle. Like, I don't know. I feel like as a referee, you treat that differently than some of the shit we've seen where it's just like, that's violent. That's irresponsible. Like you're, I don't know if he's trying to hurt someone, but he's certainly putting someone at risk in a way that like, I feel like we've been punished more harshly for stuff that was much more like, you know, in the lines of like fair play, if you want to call it that again, we, we sound like crazy people. So I don't want to go too far down this hole, but you know, and it's, I don't know. It, it's not completely unreasonable that like, the referees feel like they got embarrassed in a match like the Liverpool one. And it's like, well, well, Tottenham's going to have to earn it for a while. Um, You know, I don't think that's entirely a crazy thing to say, but I don't think it's also the reason that this is happening. I mean, we are the team in the league that has, uh, has the most tackles by like a significant number. We have 344 tackles on the season. And just for comparison's sake, Manchester City and Liverpool are last, and they have about a hundred less tackles than us. And so, like, we're kind of unique in in some of the big clubs in that this is the kind of aggressive style we play. Like, we're not able to necessarily control the possession in the way that um, you know Liverpool and uh, Manchester City and even like Brighton and Arsenal are able to. Um, and we counter that by just being really aggressive in our press. And, and so that that's just going to lead to things. I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're giving someone, you know, a hundred more opportunities to call you for a foul or a card, they're going to find, you know, at least a handful in there. 
and, you know, I think also reputation plays a part in it. I think, you know, with Basuma and with Romero specifically, they now have a reputation as that kind of guy. And, and, and that I think referees are coming into games looking for stuff from those sorts of players. And, well, I'm not saying that's good. I'm not saying that, uh, you know, we're being specifically targeted. But, like, when you get a reputation as, quote, unquote, that kind of player, referees watch you more. And I, I think yeah, that's so- fair in terms of, like, I don't think Romero is being unfair. Like, I don't think that's unfair on Romero. Like, I don't think a referee, like, not giving him the benefit of the doubt. Like, fair enough. Like, I do understand that. Um, so just some quick numbers on fouls, Brian. We have committed the seventh most fouls in the league. Not the most. We have <laughs> been fouled the most of any other team. Maybe that's um, So we have been fouled 239 times. The next is Villa at 218. And then it goes down from there. So I think that is kind of the feeling that you're probably seeing is that we foul a kind of middling amount and get fouled a lot. And the balance of cards seems heavily skewed against us. Um, you know, I think it's interesting because we've praised Ange a lot for not being Jurgen Klopp, not being Arteta, not being a baby complaining about the refs every week while we go and complain about the refs every week. Um you know, and you talk about reputations and how they're earned and how hard they are to sort of undo those reputations once they're earned. And, you know, on some level, that annoying thing that guys like Klopp are doing are helping their players not get that reputation, having scaring referees into being very very concerned that they don't want the optics of giving a bad decision against Liverpool because that's going to be a big thing. And then it's going to get reviewed by the PGMOL and, you know, maybe they're going to get a suspension. And I like all of that does play into how matches are refed. And I appreciate that. And is taking like the high road here. Um, but it would be helpful <laughs> if he didn't. So I don't know. I don't, I don't have anything else to really say about it's, refereeing, it's... but the only other thing I can contribute to this is, you know, when Brian was talking about our style of play, I think it's also worth pointing out. We've been doing this for like three months or whatever it is. Like there's every chance in the world when and just coaching like a better drilled team of better players in like a year or whatever. Like, I don't think he's going to Man City in a year. <laughs> thanks. Uh, but, you know, on this team, when he's like got a better a bunch of better players next year who are like a little more understanding of his system, you know, it's. Like it's conceivable that like okay they're better controlled they're not running as same as some of the same issues but we'll we'll see I don't know right now it's like very annoying and I think it's really I think it's it's and I'm curious what you guys think of this I feel like a couple teams this year decide to play us really rough you know they're gonna ride their challenges and try to fuck up our game I don't think it's like really worked I mean maybe the Wolves game but like either we've beaten teams or like we've played a lot better than teams and like they've been kind of lucky to get out alive with points when, you know, I, I don't feel like this is a super successful strategy. I mean, it wasn't for Forrest. We talk about how ugly the game is. I think Spurs, like, I don't think you'd say Spurs were undeserved winners in this match. No, not at all. I mean, I guess Aston Villa is the big one where it definitely worked. Um, and well, whatever happened, worked whatever what happened to the Chelsea like, match. Yeah. Well, the Chelsea match is. Hmm. Uh, yeah. So to get back to the game itself, um, you know, 
we talked about the, the sort of disruption of our shape and, and the impacts that that had. But to be fair, Kulishevsky made both goals from that, you know, realigned team. And if he wasn't as influential over the broader proceedings, uh, he was certainly influential in a final third in a way that won us the game. So credit to Ange there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm just, I just mean, you know, uh, this has kind of been the last, you know, month or so has kind of been kind of Kulishevsky's real, um, the winter of Kulishevsky. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I don't want to say his like coming out party. Cause like, but his like, um, gets kind of his ascendancy. Like, you know, there was a time early in this season where a bunch of us were saying like, Oh, d- does he really fit in this system? Like he's not getting the shot numbers. Like what is he, what is his actual role here? And, you know, we, we've had this stretch where we've been without a bunch of our important attacking players and he's been the guy that stepped up and I, you know, it's been great. Like he is taking on the, the creative workload. He is, um, you know, producing shots. He is getting on the end of attacks. Like he's, he's just doing all of the things that we've needed in the last, I don't know, four or six weeks. Uh, and it's been, it's been great. I, I, you know, I, I would love to see him make that jump from good Premier League player to superstar. Like that would be very fun. I think he's a nice guy and he I, I love I like his personality on and off the pitch. Like I would really like to see him kind of have his sort of Gareth Bale star turn. Do you think with Kulishevsky that I mean, where do you think his future is in the Spurs team? I think our midfield, a healthy Spurs midfield is too crowded for him. But I've been very impressed with the work he's done there. And I think it's actually, I think it really speaks to him and how good a player he is over the last, I think, at least two games where he's done really well in the middle and then been sort of forced to go outside either by choice or by circumstance. And he's sort of just really excelled at both positions in the same match. I mean, I think he's done really well in both. And I, I, I don't know, I'm very surprised how well he's done in the middle considering like I don't think he's been played in the middle since he was at like Parma with any consistency yeah it's it's kind of wild you know this is again that kind of par for the course with this team this season but like right now we're having such a big uh, moment with Sun and Kulishevsky redeployed in new roles and them both playing arguably even better than they had been playing at their the role that they were very good at earlier in the season. Um, so I think being spoiled for choice is fine. You know, Madison comes back and we have a, a headache there. Great. Good problem to have. Madison can play on the right too. So can Kulishevsky. They can switch around and play a little more free flowing. Who cares? I mean, I trust Ange to figure it out and get the 11 best guys on the pitch, whatever that looks like. The, the the interesting about Kulishevsky, I mean, it's always been there, but I guess you're reminded of it, is I tend to focus on when you when people talk about his physicality or whatever. It's like, oh, he's a little slow. He's not as fast as you would like on the right. Like, because, you know, you do watch him sometimes and you're like, God, if he had an extra yard of pace, like he'd be I mean, he'd be too good for Spurs, you know, like. But he's so I mean, he's got so much stamina. I mean, and I think that may, maybe his really saved Spurs, the fact that this guy can just fucking run around all match. 
And I think, especially in a match like this, something that is easy to sort of forget about Kulishevsky is he's just so strong and solid that, like, you know, if a team decides they want to start banging around with Spurs, like, I mean, that's not really going to affect him all that much. I mean, he's going to throw it right back at him. I mean, he's wearing that, you know, he got the broken nose, and I think it was the city match, and, you know, we none of us knew it. I mean, he's just so solid and you know he can just run for like 90 minutes like he just doesn't tire out it's really really impressive work from him and you know i just think he's been he's i i think i don't know if he's going to get where brian was talking about but i think you are seeing him take a step up and i think it's actually you know there's something really encouraging about i've something i've always liked about kulishevsky is like with a lot of players here with tottenham you know i think we always have a bit of an inferiority complex if only because it felt like harry kane was like always looking for an excuse to leave. But like one of the nice things about Kulishevsky is like, you know, that guy fucking loves being here because, you know, Juve didn't rate him at all. And he came here. It was instantly successful and we all loved him. And there's really something nice about a player who clearly loves being at Spurs also being really influential and successful here and really just taking those steps up. Um, I mean, son obviously sort of falls into the same bucket, but it's 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 nice it's nice to see it's it, it feels good as a fan. Yeah, real warm fuzzy guy. Yeah, yeah. He needs to work on the celebrate. That LeBron celebration is fucking terrible. Like just like slide by the corner flag or something. It's really like you're too good. You're too good to celebrate like that. <laughs> um, cool. I like, like the LeBron celebration. Oh, you're terrible. You live in Miami. What do you know? It took Sun until like two years ago to land on his like little like camera celebration. You know, it'll it'll work itself out. That is a really good celebration. It's like Gareth Bale's celebration if it didn't feel like it was like workshop by a focus group, which like Sun's mm-hmm. probably was, but it feels <laughs> less like it. So, uh, I want to talk about you know one of one of uh, Kulishevsky's connections in this game, a guy who's really come on like a house of fire in the last few weeks is uh, Richarlson. Uh, ben is Richarlson back? I think Richarlison is perhaps here for the first time. <laughs> I think, yeah, Richarlison, another guy who, you know, just says all the right things, acts like he loves the club, um, you know, has that same kind of attitude of just like having really taken to us for some reason <laughs> or another. Uh, it's it's and, better to be here than at Everton, for sure. <laughs> well, no. Those might be famous last words this week, Brian. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Everton are playing very well, the Sean Dyche renaissance. Uh, we can get to that. Um, yeah, I mean, he just looks, you know, reborn. The surgery seems to have been a very transformative experience. How uh, long has he been dealing? It's like before he got to Spurs, right? He's had some version of this injury for that long, and it's just gotten worse because he's run into the ground by the Brazilian national team, right? That's what it sounds like. Yeah, I question why he didn't do it this summer, like, but I guess. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm sure there was some international tournament that Brazil was, like, in, and they just demanded he play. I don't know. I, I don't. I understand why players avoid surgery, but when the recovery time is a month, like, it's like, dude, it's like it was just like I felt with Son. It's like, why did you not get this done the second the season ended last year? I understand why you didn't do it during the season, but he looks I, – I, I can't remember the last player who's been like struggling as much as he has and looked as off the pace as he has. And then just like, 
oh, well, he got surgery. Maybe that'll help. And it's like, oh, well, maybe when he gets healthy, he'll be good. Oh, no. Yep. Turns out that might be actually the case with the Charleston. I mean, he looks incredible uh, since well, he came back from his surgery. And I think, you know, so much was made early in the season of his issues with his his mental health and, you know, how confident he was. And, you know, I think I think when you're having issues with your body where you you know, don't feel confident in your body's ability to do the things that it normally does or the things that you want it to do that seriously affects your ability to perform athletically at a high level. And so to get that dealt with is probably great for his mental health, but also just like, you know, seeing the ball go in the back of the net a few times, like that's just been huge. I think cause, cause you know, the, he, he just scores kind of scrappy goals. Like that's just who he is as a player. Like he's not scoring a lot of beautiful curling finishes or whatever. Like he's, he's just getting in the box and mixing it up. And, you know, he was getting into those positions earlier in the year. And even last year when he was playing and we just weren't getting the result. Um, And so that's what's just kind of happened in these last couple games. And I don't know if it's necessarily linked to the surgery or if, you know, we were playing and, you know, one kind of went in. He got lucky in a in a scramble at the goal mouth and one went in and that was good enough. And then now he's just taken off from there. I don't know. I mean, if he couldn't shoot in training because it hurt so much, like I tend to think that had something to do with it. Yeah, I think I think that's that's totally fair. So I, I just, you know, I think ultimately, like. As much of a physical hindrance was it was for him in terms of not being able to hone his craft and practice and whatever, um, I just think like his own self-confidence took so much of a hit during this time that like just to be able to go out there and know like, all right, I can have a whack at this and it's not going to like hurt me for the next 10 minutes. That's got to be great for him. Ben looks like he yeah. wants to say something about Charleston, but he's waiting for someone to stop talking. I could be wrong. No, I, I wasn't trying to say anything rude about Okay, you look like you were – it was a pregnant pause. I was um, just waiting my turn respectfully oh, because okay. – Much like Charleston was just waiting for his surgeon to be free. Like he didn't want to jump the line. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, no, I, I mean, I, I'm very pleased by Charleston's revitalization um and i'm really glad you know i I think i talked this a few weeks ago that we just weren't getting a lot of goal contributions from anybody but sun and in the weeks since then we have suddenly developed you know three guys in the attack who are sharing the workload scoring and creating for each other and whatever and like this is what we've been missing um it's just threats from more than one place you know and uh, yeah, it's 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 looking really promising. And if we can stay fit and unsuspended, I think we'll be in good Which shape. Charleston is probably not a given, um, especially if we're playing Everton this week. Uh, yeah, and it's it's also you know it's funny. I feel like so much of the discussion around for Charleston has been around like, oh, he can kick the ball again, which is great, and you know, really we really benefited from last week. But like 
he's so good in the air in a way that like I guess playing Sun up front, like I didn't realize how much I missed because like you don't want to rely on sort of pumping balls into the box, but like that was such a good cross from Kulishevsky and like Richarlson did such a good job to sort of thread the needle there and put the ball in. And he really is I mean, and he's missed a few this year, but he is really good in the air in a way that like I think is impressive. And it's just it's it's really nice to have his option and have it like working again. Absolutely. Especially because we have guys like Sun and Kulishevsky and Poro who all have very good delivery and didn't have anyone to aim at. It makes a big difference from only having Sun to aim at, who, like you said, is not a particularly strong player in the air, and then having delivery from guys like Richarlison, who just, it's not where he is strong. I mean, and I think, I mean, you could really argue that, I, I think that really killed the match for Forrest. Like, they felt like they were getting into it, and then just like, especially right before halftime, just like, and that was an incredible cross from Kulishevsky, which I really wish he'd do that a little more often because he can really, I mean, that guy can really whip that shit in the box. And I feel like we've kind of drilled that out of his game a little bit because uh, he did that a lot uh, under Conte. But, man, that was a good goal. Uh, it's nice to see Richarlson back. He's He's been, you know, or, or here for the first time, as you say. Um, going back to a player who didn't exactly uh, distinguish himself, uh, are you guys worried about Basuma? Brian, do you think he's a – is he more of a help, hindrance than a help? No, I, I, I think he's – a significant help. I mean, he's, he's by far our best number six. Um, and you know, look two two red cards, um, one for violent conduct, I guess. And that carries the four game suspension. Like that's not ideal. Um, but I mean, I don't know other than telling him, you know, Hey, don't do that. I don't, I don't know what else, we're supposed to do like there are people on the internet calling for us to sell him. And it's just like, that's going to make us worse. Um, you know, regardless of how, how many games he misses either from the cup of nations or for through suspension, like he's, he's still the player that, that best works in that role. And I, I think like Romero, it's just kind of one of those things that you have to account for if you're relying on him and the team. Like you just have to have a player like a Hoiberg or a Bentoncourt around who can come in and deputize. That I I don't know what else to say. Yeah, Alec, I'm I'm not mad at Basuma for the red card. Like it's a red, but it's not a malicious red. Like it looked like he was again trying to miss like control the ball that kind of had a backspin as it came up off the ground and he just sort of misjudged the height of it and just swung right through his leg. Like it's a bad challenge, but again, I, I don't think it was an on-purpose challenge, um, but it is going to be bad for us. Cause like you said, with the Cup of Nations right after his suspension, it's like eight, nine games are going to be without him. And that's a lot, uh, you know, to have this number six who you're relying on who started the season so well for us to miss basically a quarter of the season through this stuff is we're not and, deep enough to handle it. You know? And I think you could really argue that, you know, the sort of getting in and out of a rhythm because he's keeps missing games for dumb shit. Like, I, I think, you know, some of the reason his play hasn't been as good as early in the season is just like, he can't get into a run of form uh, because this shit keeps happening. And, and, you know, he's like, what's he 26 now? I mean, you, you know, come on, you're old enough. You should, you, you need to do better. But I think Brian's right. You just got to, at least some of the, I, I think it's 
he's got to be better than this, but some of this is just baked in, and that's unfortunate, but it is what it is. And I think we'll have a maybe selection question when Bentoncourt gets finally fit again. Which of them belongs to the six? If maybe Sar can shift back to the role. I, I uh, think Bentoncourt is just too valuable a little further forward. I mean, obviously he can do both, but... Yeah, well, I mean, you know, who knows? If we have Bentoncourt, Sar, and Madison out there, like... I, I don't think we're going to miss Bentoncourt further up the pitch. Uh, you know, Kulishevsky playing the way he is in a similar three, I don't think we're going to miss it up the pitch. It's it's going to be a problem, a less of a problem once Bentoncourt is back. It is just until then, we are now left with Hoiberg, Skip, and Saar in a short midfield to try and figure out how we can handle uh, – that job and I mean this would be less like, of an issue I feel like if LaCelso could like if every little injury he has doesn't turn into like a two month to like you know period where he's out of the squad but which yeah. could stress all the other substitutions is what I'm getting I know LaCelso right, right. yeah the midfield is just thinned out so if you decide that you want Sar to be as your six then that means well who's going to be in Sar's role well it's not going to be LaCelso because he's fucking nowhere you know so it's tough um you know, and right now the market for a ball winning six is just not good. Like this summer, you know, Chelsea went fucking crazy for Caicedo and Lavia. Um, well, but it worked out really well for them. So I'm just saying, like, yeah, the price tag on these guys is high, and there are not a lot of really good ones out there. Liverpool scrambled to find something to kind of fill that uh, void. Uh, you know, Man U, God knows what they're running out there with, like Amrabat and. Scott He's a left back. Sometimes, left like, back. I, just what you yeah. always want. It's what you want out of him—a good midfielder, right? That's true. <laughs> but yeah, I'm just saying, like, it's a hard spot to fill, and January is going to be a hard time to buy for that position. So we may just have to make the most of it with whatever we got. So all right, let's talk about the winter transfer window because I think things are looking—I don't know—it's—it's it's a bit of a weird thing to approach because I don't know. With sort of all the issues we have in midfield, I'm not entirely sure what to do. Because, like, okay, you're, you're thin with Basuma, but, like, he's going to be back. He's in your long-term plans. So, like, you got to be careful about what you buy there. You've got Celso, absolutely has value to the squad. But I think we're seeing sort of the downside of Celso right now in terms of, like, that guy just gets fucking hurt all the time. And he's got one year left on his contract after the season. So you just... If Barca are willing to do something stupid, do you just replace him now and sort of like take the hit, such as it is, in terms of what it does to your squad? I, you know, Ben Davies, I think, has been much better as a center back than any of us were anticipating. But at the same time, like, you don't, you, know, you got to get someone, I think, at least on the left, because, you know, you don't have any real replacements over there. Um, I don't know. How, how are you guys feeling? What, what, let me rephrase that. What, Going into the transfer window in January, what are your priorities? Brian? Uh, I mean, just the way everything is right now, it's got to be midfield and another defender. Um, but I, I guess my thing is the same as what Ben said. Like, what's the market for a good six that can also, you know, be press resistant and play the ball? It's, you know, for, for someone that's actually going to get minutes in this midfield going forward, not just in this emergency stopgap situation, like the price tag is 
like it, it's not something Levy's going to be willing to pay. But you might go get an eight, so you can like, yeah, play maybe. those other guys at the at the six. Yeah, like Ben was saying, like yeah, maybe I don't know. I and, but and then it's, it sucks because like like Bentoncourt is coming back. Basuma is eventually going to come back. Like you know, if you're United or Madrid or City, maybe you go buy a body and overpay a little bit. But like I I don't know. Like I, like I'm not sure. Like if you go buy a vet, like. Do you go buy like a guy who's kind of at the end of his career who can do a job for a while? Do you go just take a chance on a like I don't think you're gonna take a chance on a kid. It's just a weird the midfield in particular is a bit of a weird problem to solve in the January transfer window. I think you do need to buy someone, but I'm not sure what you do about it. You know what I mean? Well, and I think I think the defense is the same way. Like, you know, if if you buy another center back, like eventually Van Deven is gonna be healthy. And so like what do you do? if you're a top level center back and you're not necessarily guaranteed to be a starter, are you, is this a place you're going to come to? And, you know, and then if you're buying someone that's a veteran or that's a young kid, the question is, are they better than Ben Davies? And like, I, I just don't, there's just not an obvious way to do that in a way that's also cost effective. So I think what my answer is then is that we'll probably just get like a winger or a winger like substance, like, you know, whether it's Jota from uh, his Saudi Arabia sojourn or, or, you know, whatever. Like, I just think that's probably an area that we could obviously upgrade and then it would free up, you know, Kulisevsky to do more, uh, more stuff in midfield and, and some other stuff. I, I think that's probably the easiest and most cost effective buy that you can do. Yeah. I, I, I have said many times that it's very hard to buy depth because you're just buying a worse player. If you're buying specifically depth. So you should be trying to buy better than your starting 11. Um, right now, our starting 11 is pretty good and pretty young, and it's hard to do that. And we have this unfortunate situation where we are better than we were expecting to be at this stage in the season. Um, and, you know, I think it, had we kind of had the growing pains we were expecting, it would be easy to say, let's just buy what if we can get someone for our long term plans in January, we buy them. If not, don't worry about it. There's no need for a stopgap to get us across the finish line because we're not really playing for anything. And now we find ourselves in the uncomfortable position where a Champions League place is really possible. And it is worth, you know, possibly buying a guy to get us there. And it's it's hard to find. I mean, for all the reasons you guys have said, it's hard to find a guy who can do that, who's cost effective, who's going to be happy to be a rotation piece or a backup. We don't have a lot of competitions that we can rotate um you know, especially if we crash out of the FA Cup in the beginning of January, you know, this is <laughs> very thin for competitions this year. So it's hard. You know, I think the defender we talked about over the summer wanting was a guy who can do what Ben Davis does and be a two position backup at left back and center back. Because um, right now that's the uncomfortable position with Ben Davis is, is he is our only cover um, unless we're going to play Emerson Royale out of position in one of those spots, we have nobody to back up Udagi this week. You know, someone who can do that, who's young and can play those two positions, would be really ideal. Um, and I think, like, longer term, you can, like, what's the name of, we were talking about before the podcast, I've already forgotten how to pronounce it, the French. Tadibo. 
Yeah. Um, longer term, I think he's probably too good for us, and he's probably going to go somewhere. He's a definite starter. But like longer term, you can talk to a you know a guy who's got some real prospects. And you can talk him into like, look, we're going to be in continental competitions next year. We're going to be playing midweek. We got our domestic cups. Romero gets sent off like every other game. You're going to get minutes at Spurs. Like, you know, maybe that takes you out of like the the sort of top tier of the young center backs market. But like going forward, starting after the summer, like I think you can like find a guy that you can convince or pay enough to like come here and fill that role, at least on the back line, because there are going to be opportunities there. Like you, it's not like you're just going to be, it's not going to be like, you're not going to be like Eric Dyer, even Ben Davies has been this year. Like you're going to have opportunities, but finding a guy like that in January, especially because the guy we've been linked with this, this French kid is like, I mean, he's on like the second place team in league. Oh, which like, right. And it's like you know, everybody, you know? Yeah. Right. Well, like, let's assume he's it. just linked with us. Like, He's on the second place team in league. Oh, they're probably not going to sell him until the summer. And I'm fine well, buying. And also the owner of the owner of that club now owns Manchester United too. So, you know, like <laughs> how likely well, is that he to sell Well, could be good us? or bad for us, depending on. But, yeah, who yeah. knows? I, I don't know. I just, I, I think, you know, January is a time where we tend to find like, Guys who are running their contracts down or like kind of uh, young players that we can loan back or whatever. And in this year, just because of the injuries and the suspensions and the everything else, like we just need something else. But I just can't see us getting like some crazy impactful signing in January. Well, because there is even on left wing, like what we were talking about, there's still not that like like Ben was saying, there's not that obvious like we're going to buy you and you're going to fucking play every game for the rest of the year, like barring an injury. Um, You know, now I'm pretty excited about these kids at Juve that we're linked with, Um, you know, and I wouldn't be like all that broken up if we went back to shopping at Juventus Mart uh, this January because it seems to work out pretty well for us. And, you know, those are actually um, especially what was it? Soleil, what's the name of that Um, winger? Um, you know, he seems like the perfect kind of player for us, like lots of potential, really good, probably isn't a problem if that guy's a rotational piece for the like near term future. That seems like the kind of guy we'd like to get. But I think like, you know, right now the priorities have to be like we got to shore up that midfield and we got to shore up our back line. But that's going to be pretty tricky, especially because and I'm not sure that how much the club should actually care about this. Let's say you go get a Ryan Nelson type. Let's say you, you just go get like another Ben Davies type. So another it's not like ideal, but like a Louis body. Saha. Well, no, but I, I mean, on the back line, like you need a guy who's just going to be able to like really shore up your back line for the rest of the year. And that's like easier said than done. Like that's still an ugly bit of business to do. So I don't know what we're going to do, but you they get in a Clement Longley. Yeah. You, hey, I mean, you know, who you else can play left back like and left center back? You could bring I mean, it back for Tonkin. The key with those guys is you want a guy like that. You just don't want to, like, if you get a guy like that, you just don't want to get into bed with them for, like, a particularly long time. Like, you know, six months is fine. Let's not do, like, two years. Um, I don't know. It's 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 going to be tricky. I, I think it's still center back and central midfield. But, man, I just think those things are so – it's it's such a hard needle to thread because, like you said, Ben, we're, we're a lot better than we thought we were going to be. Yep. Horrible. What a horrible what season this is. Like, if you had to bet, not not in terms of what you want us to get or what you think we need. What do you What do you think, Ben? I'll start with you, then I'll go to Brian. What What do you think? What do you think is going to happen in January? 
I think... I don't know. I think we do an opportunistic buy on some attacker in, like, the Kuliszewski mode who's, like, affordable and can fill out the numbers. And then a stopgap in the the back line somewhere. Brian? Yeah, I think Ben's right. Like, it's going to be one of those, you know, like, Juventus cast-off type situations and then... I don't know, like a left back might be useful. Um, and then I don't know, maybe you kind of like hunt around some of the big clubs for someone that's not playing and try to see if you can work out a loan for somebody. Um, maybe like a loan with a, a option to buy or something like that. I mean, we find some we guys who are targeted by Manchester United and go to them and say, do you really want to go fucking work for Ten Hag? Like, like, yeah, let's, let's have a let's have a real long think about this. Yeah, we can pick over the corpse of Ajax. Like, I don't know. Maybe there's somebody that plays for uh, in Portugal that we can go check out again. I don't know. I, we'll... I like I like the way you're thinking. Brian. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's uh, the name of uh, that attacker? We're not getting him this year. That attacker. Uh, Marcus, Edwards? Marcus Edwards. Yes, him. No, the other one at Sporting, the one who, who got sold to them this summer. Um, Victor Co- Carries or whatever his name is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm not even going to try. Yeah, there's a dot over that letter. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> yeah, let's go get him. He looks fucking. He, he was looking fucking great against Porto today. Um, well, let's do that. I think, but I think Spurs need to get us on a plane. We'll get Windy on a plane. The other extra inch guys can come too. Like we all just. Need, I think we need to check him out in person for the club. What do you guys think? Yeah, I'm in favor of that. You know, to be serious for a second, I do think. <laughs> I'm being 100 serious. The Spurs should pay for a trip to send us to Portugal. Just to be clear. Another young fullback is probably the move, like especially because you know Ben Davis is having to cover at center back right now and is fine enough to get us through the season a, a little bit. Justin Young's kicking a ball. Like we just don't have any real cover for Poro and Udagi. Like Emerson Royale is not it, and we don't have anybody. And we're gonna need, that's gonna be a position we need cover for next season for sure. Um, with multiple competitions, that's a, the kind of buy you can maybe find now that could help, you know, like a young 20, 21-year-old. Well, on that note, let's talk uh, Let's talk some questions from our listeners. Uh, this comes on Blue Sky from David. He wants to know, uh, what do we think of Skip? Should we just give him a go right now? Because we're going to be thin at midfield for the next few months, for the next few weeks i guess should we just give him a go and see what we've got um ben i know you have strong opinions about this so i'm going to kick this one to you first i mean no (laughs) (laughs) he's just not good enough like i'm sorry he's not and he helps our homegrown numbers it's a nice story and he doesn't mind being the fifth choice midfielder but like the Every time we have to use him, it is not good. And he is already averaging something like 20 minutes a match over the course of the season. It's just too much Oliver Skip. You just don't. A guy that bad should not be playing that many minutes. Uh, So, no, we should use him as sparingly as possible. Yeah, I mean, I thought maybe that when they said give him a go, it meant, like, let him go somewhere else. Like, to the championship, maybe. Um but yeah, I, I just what's the benefit of of that? 
like I, I understand that people are still fixated on him being young, but he's like getting into like Jesse Lingard territory um, where it's like, oh, he's a young prospect. And he's like, no, he's 23 years old. He's Jesus. got like Brian. I feel fucking old enough as it is. <laughs> like he's got 8000 minutes of, of, you know, of football under his belt between Norwich and Spurs like he this is what he is. And like what he is, is, you know, a totally acceptable level of footballer, but not a Tottenham Hotspur, you know, competing at the top end of the table. Um, you know, I'm sure he'd be great on that Nottingham Forest team, uh, but he's not not at Spurs. And so, like, you know, I, I understand that, like, because he is at least nominally a Premier League footballer, like there's the temptation to roll with it. But like. We would be so much better served by trying literally anything else. You know, I, I, I know that, you know, people like me or Wendy saying, oh, we should just play Donnelly. Like, that's not a helpful feedback. But like at this point, I'd rather see that or any of the other kids than to just have to suffer through another 60, 70 minutes of Oliver Skip in midfield. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, is like. As much as Skip is not a good enough player, the gulf between not being a Premier League footballer and being a Premier League footballer is humongous. And those kids, if they can't hack it, it's going to be way worse than what yeah. Skip gives us. But it'll like, be worse in a way that's new and different, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> we'll learn something. Um, not something we already know. Uh, Brian, um, this comes from a lunch enjoyer on Blue Sky. Um, have you seen it? Looking at Richarlson, obviously we're talking about a small sample size, but given how he's played, is Striker on your shopping list for next summer? I mean, yeah, still. I mean, I think Sun is good there. I think Richarlison can be fine there. But, I mean, if... If the project is building to a certain point and that certain point is trophies, then there just needs to be a better option. I'm not saying that we're going to go out there and spend a hundred million on Osman or, or, you know, some of these other guys, but like we need to be looking seriously at signing like a legitimate number nine, who's going to score 20, 25 goals a season. Like we just, that's just what we need. <laughs> I will stick up for Richarlison. I mean, it, the sample size is very small, and this could just be a flash in the pan, and we go back to the Richarlison we all know and don't love that much. Uh, but if he goes out and scores, like, 15 goals from, you know, this last couple of weeks until the end of the season, I'm not mad about relying on that guy. You know, we have... If we have a revitalized Sonny, a Kulishevsky who's really good, James Madison's back, and there's Richarlison who's scoring 15 goals, that's a pretty good attack right there. Um, you know, we, we definitely need to buy another attacker in some capacity. Yeah. Like Preference is a winger. Um, but if Kulishevsky makes that leap and Sun shows that he's still got it, like, I don't care where that guy, if that's a striker, that's fine too. You know, it's just, we need another body who's really good. It could take a lot of shapes and, they're all kind of competing for who's going to be the one to fall out of the team. I think at this point, Yeah, I feel like it's, I'm not accusing our listener of this. And I think we're just as going to be as guilty as anyone else. I do feel like Harry Kane is going to distort our view of what a striker at Spurs should be for a long time, which isn't to say like 
God knows if you come away with the opinion right now of like we need to replace Richarlison next summer. I don't think you're being unreasonable, but I do think it's going to be like, you know, Harry Kane was. It was very nice not to have to think about striker for like however many years it was. I mean, um, like say what you will about sorry about no, Son and striker right now. There are not very many players in the league who have more goals than he does. It's like Holland, Salah, Son. Right. That's it. Yeah, there's a fun little thread on Twitter if you want to feel like it made me. Feel, it was a nice little surprise. It's like players in the league with less goals than than uh, than were Charles said. It like I think like Gabriel. I think Jesus is like the first one on there, which is like sort of a delightful little reminder of where things are this this season. Yeah, but Charleston is scoring more goals than Gabriel Jesus and Arsenal in first place. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> um, this comes from Jason Valerga on Twitter. Uh, ben, I'll start with you on this. Um, how would you feel about Spurs acquiring Conor Gallagher from Chelsea? I think that's a fine buy. He's just probably going to be expensive. Uh, well, Chelsea, how, how long does he have on his contract? It's a year and a half on his contract. Yeah, I just Chelsea is trying to recoup all of their bad financial moves by selling their homegrown talent that they don't have their weird amortized contracts with uh, to recoup those financial shenanigans. So they're probably going to want more for Gallagher than I'd want to pay. I also don't love buying a Chelsea guy, uh, like a Chelsea youth guy. That just feels gross. Um, but he is a very reasonable well, at least option he's, for our midfield. He's a Chelsea youth guy who hasn't, like, you know... Like, I don't know. I don't feel like we have any particularly bad memories of him. No, that's I, true. That is yeah. true. Um, I don't know. Like, he was I – th- I think I've heard Nathan say this, and I, 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 I obviously I've not thought about it as deeply as he has because I'm not cutting those videos he has. But um, I was much more skeptical of this buy in the summer than I am now. Like, sort of seeing how this team worked, I can kind of, like, wrap my head around the purchase. I was a little more like I don't know what role he serves in this team, but I can kind of – like after seeing how Sar functions in the team and a few other players, like I can see my way to it. I don't know. I mean, do you guys have a dollar figure you'd be comfortable with it at? I mean, because I think Ben makes a good point. Like Chelsea's trying to like fix a lot of their financial issues by selling him. I mean, and I think, you know, obviously buying him at say 40 million pounds versus like 80 million pounds is, I mean, those are two horses of very different colors. So uh, Brian, I haven't come to you on this, but where, where do you fall on Sar? Uh, yeah, I think, if, if if we're getting Gallagher, we're Gallagher. gonna have. To, Sorry, I said yeah. yeah we're yes. gonna have to pay through the nose for him, and uh, maybe I don't know. That contract makes me think maybe not. Like, but I mean, like you know, if you if if you told me it was fifty million, right? Like we talked, we've talked before on the show about what the prices were for midfielders this summer and how they were crazy. Like fifty million for a player that's English. That's what is he? He's uh, almost. 20, he's 23, almost 24, like, and you can plug him probably right into either the 10 or or the SAR role, and and he would work just fine. I, I don't know. I think that's worthwhile. I, I if you if the number becomes 75 or 80 million, I'm suddenly a little less interested in it, and then you know maybe we can hold off until the summer and see 
see what buying him then looks like. But uh, yeah, that's kind of one of those things where you're that's this is what January is for taking advantage of, you know, a player who's in a rough contract situation, a team that is facing facing some financial uncertainty. And like maybe it makes sense. And, you know, the fact that he has um, looked like he actually knows what to do when he gets on the ball this year uh, is, is is a huge uh, factor in his favor because but I think before kind of the knock on him from at least some of the smart people that we talked with like uh, Michael Kaylee and, and and Nathan were had questions about what does he do on the ball he's not involved in buildup he doesn't dribble he doesn't really pass like he just pops up and and uh, gets shots and and this season I think his attacking contribution uh, is down but his involvement in the other areas of play is up significantly as defensive actions are up. Like I think he would be, he'd be a good fit for this system. Do you think, I mean, he's, he's improved a lot this year. I agree, but like, I, I don't know. He's improved a lot in a team that I find generally pretty unimpressive. And I don't know how much that's my personal bias. He's playing into everything. I mean, do you, Ben, do you think he's a good fit for what, like just assume we get him for a quasi reasonable fee. Do you think he's a good fit for what, what Ange wants to do? Yeah, I think he's absolutely a tactical fit. I think he's the kind of guy who, like Richarlison, like Brendan Johnson, you're going to spend 50 million pounds on and be a little underwhelmed by that, but also can see how he could maybe grow into a role and fit into a system. And maybe it's, it's also the cost that. of doing business these days. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. That's just kind of what you pay. And it's like you want to spend that much money on someone who you're like, oh, this is a ready made good player, you know, or like a deal like Kulishevsky. <laughs> And it's not going to be that. So, you know, it, you, you trust the scouts, you trust what Ange wants and hope that if that's the guy we're targeting, then he's going to make us better. If we sell the Celso to Barcelona and buy him in January, would you be happy with that? I, yeah, I mean, that's fine. I, I with, because Kulishevsky has shown that he can do the 10, I'm much more fine with that than I would have been like three weeks ago. Um, you know, I think the thing that Los Celso offers is just a lot more progressive passing than yeah, Connor Gallagher. Yeah. He is a guy who he recycles the ball okay. He has like a little bit of vision, but he's not like a real string puller in midfield. He's still not like the guy threading through balls. You know, it's not the same kind of guy. I mean, I I, I understand that. Just to be clear to our listeners, I understand yeah, yeah. they're not the same player, but I do think they are both midfielders, and I think that if we buy Gallagher, that's probably how it's happening, uh, at least in January, um, because I can't see LaCelso sticking. Honestly, I'm kind of weirdly cold on LaCelso right now, just because I'm I'm just re- I have renewed my frustration with his inability to stay fit, um, which isn't really probably his fault, but it is, you know, at a point in the fixture list where we could really use him that he's like out for what appears to be a minor injury is just very aggravating. Yeah, it always seems to coincide with when we need him, and he's finally going to get an opportunity that suddenly he's not available. Or when he he has actually gotten the opportunity, succeeded in the role, (laughs) and we've all started to go, oh, what if? And then just magically he's gone. And it's just like if Barca are willing to, like, you know, sell Uncle Johan's, like, good silverware to, like, get him, like, you know, there's part of me that's like, God, this guy's never going to fucking stay healthy. He's probably not going to sign an extension. Like, 
Let's just yeah. fucking do it and get some other body in while we can. And I, I understand Gallagher is does not do the th- like we. I, I would like a string puller. Like you know, I sort of you know my initial experience at Spurs was very heavily centered around Luka Modric. Like I would like a string puller in our midfield, especially deep in the Luka midfield. Luka Modric but, is leaving Real Madrid. Hey, 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 hey <laughs> you don't have to convince me, buddy. I would. I would I would sell Uncle Ledley's uh, good silverware to bring him back, but you know, like I would like a string puller in our midfield. I like that. I, it's kind of how I I like watching my teams play with a player like that who can pull passes like those guys can. But and I don't want to compare Lo Celso to Modric because God knows one of those guys has proven at a level the other hasn't. But That's right, um, you so know, Modric just never like, won a World Cup. Yeah, it's well. Um, <laughs> But, you know, it's just like if 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 Lacelser's not going to stick around, if he's going to be this unavailable, there is part of me as much as I think we could use him this year where it's like, fuck it. Like if Barcelona's desperate, like just get the money and use it on it. You know, a guy like Gallagher or someone who's going to improve this team, at least for the next few years. And that's not how I wanted it to end. And I do think Lacelso could be useful to this team. But it's frustrating just watching him disappear because of you know, what appeared to be a minor injury at first. I just wonder if we'll wake up in a few years and we'll realize that Lacelso was just like a collective hallucination that we all had and that, you know, the annals of history will reflect that there was no such football that ever existed. I will say if he does the same, like gets hurt a lot, but is willing to, but is always willing to like show up for Argentina duty at Barcelona, that would be, like incredibly funny. Like I don't think the Barcelona people would handle that as well as like very well. So I would like that would be pretty funny. But yeah, it'd be great. Anything to piss off Barcelona fans? Yeah, no. I mean, they really are the biggest babies in world football. And on that note, I think it's time to wrap this up. Ben, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Comrade Uspers. Brian, where can people find you on the internets? You can find me on Twitter at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. You can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079. I'm on Blue Sky. It's just plain old Skipjack. And you can find our podcast on Twitter at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. For Ben, for Brian, and of course for Brett Rainbow, I have been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs, and enjoy your lunch. <laughs>